0: This week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today.
1: The Bible tells us that Jesus entered again into Capernaum. According to other places, for example, Matthew chapter 9, Capernaum became kind of a headquarters, a base of operations for the Galilean ministry of Jesus. I've been in the city of Capernaum, and it's such a neat place to visit. When you go to Capernaum, for me, I think of all the things that Jesus did during his ministry there in Capernaum. You can't help but think about all the miracles that took place there. Uh, we have already read in this gospel how uh, Jesus has healed or, or delivered a demon-possessed man in the synagogue there. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. She lay there in a the fever in Capernaum and he healed her. Of course, this paralytic man, we read that he was healed. The centurion's servant was healed at Capernaum. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead at Capernaum. The nobleman's son was healed. Uh, The woman with the issue of blood was healed, made made well. Two blind men, a mute demoniac, were all delivered at Capernaum. And Matthew chapter 8 and 9 tell us that there were a lot of other miracles that are not even written down uh, that, that occurred here in this place of Capernaum. More miracles were, re- were recorded on that spot than any other place written about in the gospel. So it's easy to understand why people got so excited when Jesus came to Capernaum. He had done so much here. People were getting so much help here. And it's, easy, it's also easy to understand why when Jesus was in Capernaum, from time to time, he had to sneak away, slip away, Get away from the crowd Because everybody wanted to meet Jesus Everybody wanted a miracle from Jesus He had attained at this point Celebrity status So everybody wants something from Jesus And occasionally he had to get away from there If he wanted to have a quiet time If he wanted to get any preaching done A lot of times he would have to get away from there To do preaching That being said, Jesus never abandoned the person. He knew they needed help and he came back there he made it his launch point for all the other Galilean ministries. And here in Mark chapter 2, the Bible says, after some days had passed, Jesus returned. And he made his way into the house. Not just a house, but he uses the definite article there, the house. And I believe that refers us back to a house that we learned about earlier. Probably this was the house of Simon Peter and his family. When word got out that Jesus was back in town, people began to come in droves. Verse 2 says there were so many people that there wasn't room for anybody else. So what did Jesus do when he hits a crowd? He preaches to them. And it says he, he preaches. Now, that's why he came. You remember from last week, his mission, the thrust of his ministry, was to win souls and influence people for the glory of God. I think we miss that about the ministry of Jesus sometimes. We think that all that came here to do was to raise people like Lazarus from the dead and to make the blind see and all this stuff. And that's wonderful. We're well, like all these people that showed up at the house. We like the miracles. You know, I, lie, I like the miracles too. Don't you like the miracles of Jesus? Don't you like hearing about those things? Yes. Mark chapter 2. I'm so excited when I knew I was going to get to preach from this story. I told a friend of mine this week, I said, I'm going to have so much fun Sunday preaching from Mark chapter 2. He said, really? You like the story? I said, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. One of those uh, stories that to me is just fun. to share this story. But as I studied the text, I asked myself a really important question this week. Why do I like this story? And really, when I was honest with myself, the reason that this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the first thing that came to my mind is I love that part where they pour the reef on. I, that's the neatest thing. The folks went up there and just started tearing a roof on I like the part where he says to the paralytic, son, I pick uh, 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 up thy bed and wall. And he goes to bed and the guy that had been carried on that stretcher and let down through that roof, he gets up. He, he's carried there by somebody else and he gets up by the power of the Lord and he walks away and goes back to his own house. I guess i like most people when I read this story, I like all that cool stuff. Tearing off the roof, God letting him down through the roof, Jesus healing the guy. But all that stuff, the roof being torn off and even the man getting up and walking away, that's not the big idea in this story. If you like the story for that reason, you're no different. You and I are no different than all those crowds that showed up. For you see, the big idea, the most wonderful part of this story is found right there in verse 5 when Jesus says these words to the man, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. That's the heart of the text. That's what you don't need to miss today, and here's why. All of us, at some point in our lives, will be forced to consider two very critical questions. Number one, can I be forgiven of all of my sins? And number two, If I can, then who can forgive me? You see, sin's the big problem. All of us are sinners. It's the the common issue that we all have. And if you don't somewhat deal with the sin problem in your life, if your sin is left unforgiven, here's what will happen. You will die from that sin and with that sin, and you will spend eternity separated from God in that awful place called hell because you never dealt with your sins. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is bad, bad news. But the good news of the gospel is how those two questions can be answered. Number one, can I be forgiven of my sins? Yes. Yes, you can be forgiven of your sins. Number two, who can forgive me of my sins? Jesus can forgive me of my sins. He's the one and he's the only one that can forgive you of your sins. And since Jesus is the forgiver of sins. Since he's the only one who can and who will, there is a proper response to that truth in our lives. Since he's the forgiver of sins and he's the only one that can, how should I respond? And that's what we're going to learn from Mark chapter 2. I want to share the response, the proper response to this glorious truth that Christ is the forgiver of sins. Number one, since Jesus is the forgiver of sins, number one, we ought to evangelize the sinner. Evangelize the sinner. Those four men, Brother Ronnie, that's a quartet I can get in behind. These four men were evangelists. And their testimony, their story, serves as either an example or a rebuke to all of us that say that we want to see people come to faith in Christ. You know, a lot of Christians say, I don't want to see anybody go to hell. But they do very little to see that people don't go to hell. You're not looking at you, ladies and gentlemen, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why? Because men and women have a sin problem, and Jesus can and will forgive sins. I want you to imagine... If somebody found the cure, let, let's say it's for the coronavirus. Let's say right now they have the cure for the coronavirus and it's taken the eastern hemisphere by storm. Now people in the western hemisphere are worried we've already had one in America die from the coronavirus. Two or three cases of it out Let's just say that people are dying from that disease and somebody has the cure for it, but they've written it down and they've tucked it away and they just won't tell anybody about it. Think about that for a second. Imagine if there's a cure for cancer. Let's say over in some lab somewhere, some fellow, some lady has studied out, done all the research, and they have found the cure for cancer, but they're just waiting and they're not sharing it with the world. You couldn't find a hole deep enough to throw a person like that into you. couldn't find a jail rough enough, a a punishment harsh enough to put a person that would have the cure for cancer, it'd be criminal to hold that cure in your hand and not share it with the rest of the hurting world. Ladies and gentlemen, when God gave us our Bible, He gave us the cure to the old sin cancer. And we got the, 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 the message and the remedy that they spoke about this morning. We got the remedy that the world stands in need of. And that's why we're called to go and evangelize the sinner because He's the forgiver of sins. And we got that message. And what you have in this story... It's people that are willing to get other people to Jesus. And when you've got people that are ready to get others to Jesus, and then you have Jesus who's willing to save and forgive sins, that's an awesome combination. You've got a, 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 a person that can share the gospel, and then you've got Jesus who can forgive sins. These men were committed to evangelism. They were committed to bringing people to faith in Christ. But I want you to notice no sooner than they made their commitment to evangelize the sinner, they ran into their first obstacle. How are we going to get this guy to Jesus? He can't walk. He's over here clear across town. How are we going to get him there? Long before I guess the wheelchair was invented. How are we going to get this guy to Jesus? In one of them, he's created. He says, you know, we'll just make like a little stretcher and put him on that stretcher. And there's four of us, and there's four corners of the structure, so we could each carry our corner of the structure, and we could get him to Jesus. So they said that's a good idea, and they cooperated. They created, they found a way to get the man to Jesus, and they cooperated. They worked together, and so they're carrying him to Jesus, and they're excited about it. And then no sooner than they get to the house, they are hit with another option. They can't get him in because there's no room. And so one of them says, well, no, we're just going to have to go through the roof. And you know who's going. The important thing I want you to see is that all these guys, these four men, they all had their little part to do to evangelize to the center. It took all of them working together. And you know the same is true in a church. It takes everybody in the church working together. Everybody. It all Door greeter, when you're out there greeting people, you know what you're doing? You're creating a warm welcome for people to feel like they belong here, that they're at the right place so I can preach the gospel and we can sing the gospel and their lives can be changed by the power of the gospel. Why? When you're up here, you're just right in your corner of the car. You're, you're preparing hearts and uh, getting the heart ready to hear the, the message of the Word of God and have received blessings everybody has a role to play in evangelizing and getting the lost to Jesus. And these four men, they would not be daunted by difficulties. So you just make yourself a little note here. When you endeavor to bring somebody to faith in Christ, it is going to make sure you have a hard doing. Now, do it. Get the man there. the first problem. Once they get there, there's no room. The house is full. The place is packed. I suppose at that point, they could have said, well, we've done all we can do. I mean, maybe another day. Maybe another day. But not these days. No was, uh, we can't. We can't was not in their vocabulary. You know, that's the vocabulary of college. These men said, no, no, we're not, we've come this far. We're going to get the man to Jesus. And they, they said, well, we can't, well, we can't get the guy to Jesus, not, at least not that way. And then one of them said, well, we've got to find another way. How? Well, yeah, you can't go around or under, just go up, go up. And so, somehow, I don't know if they built go up a ladder or, that would have been a stock see here. The guy on a stretcher, up a ladder, and the up there on the top of the roof. Or maybe there were pets up there. And they get up there and, and, and they uh, they cut an opening or maybe dug an opening. The, the roof's back there. They were made of timbers and they would lay thatch on it and put mud back in. So literally, they had to dig up the roof. And so they got up there. And, and listen, have these men been less certain of Jesus' ability to help this guy and just gave up and, go and went home, but these men were convinced. Convinced. They had confidence in Jesus that if we can get this out to Jesus, Jesus Christ can help them. I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. They were absolutely certain that Jesus was the answer. That's why they were persistent. That's why they wouldn't quit. These guys loved their friends that that, that much. They wouldn't quit because of the crowd. They didn't mind the inconvenience. I'm sure they ignored the protest. What protest? Well, we don't read about it here, but I can only imagine that about the time somebody starts tearing the roof of your house, you're out there saying, what in the world are you doing? You listen. me? There had to be a protest. What are you doing? And probably these men, being the kind of men they are, I imagine by the time they had already considered the fact that if we tear this up, We're going to have to fix it when we're done. And that's going to cost us something, but we'll split it four ways. We'll pay for the roof repair. They didn't mind the cost, though. Why? Because they loved the man and knew that Jesus was his only hope. And one of the things I love about this church here is that for as long as I've known you, you, you've been willing to do what it takes to get people to Jesus. You don't mind what it costs or how long it takes. And Brother Bruce is talking Wednesday night Y'all know we had a $200 water bill here last month, I had not heard nobody. Well, we may have a leak somewhere, but he said, you know, preachers, probably because we've been filling the baptistry up every other week. Somebody said, "Lord, You don't mind the cost. You don't mind the cost. And if you do mind the cost to fill the baptistry up, I'll give you a list of 15 churches right now that don't baptize anybody. And you can go find one. Never worry about the water bill again. These guys, y'all right, my I tell you, these guys didn't mind the pulse or, or how long it takes. The problem with the average church in America is that on Sunday, it's just business as usual. People come in, they get care less whether people get saved. In fact, a lot of them are more concerned about making sure the roof doesn't get tore up than whether or not the man gets to Jesus. These guys, they know what's more important. Let me ask you what's more important to you, a roof or a man? Roof for a man. Too many people get hung up on the roof of life and not on souls that are dying without Christ. Now, these men they pushed away the obstacle, they evangelized the sinner. Why? Because they knew that the forgiver of sin was in the house. They believed that Jesus could help this man. In fact, they believed, and Jesus said he saw their faith and had faith. Verse 5 says, Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? I believe there were five men there that had faith. I believe those four guys had faith. And I believe that guy on the stretcher. I believe he had faith. You know, he could have very well said, I don't want to go to Jesus and make with the fortune. I believe he was do He believed Jesus could help. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the Pauls, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus did not heal the physical sickness first. Do you notice that? Jesus went to the heart issue. Right here, we've seen the difference between man's agenda and God's agenda. You see that? Man's all about being a humanitarian, helping, making the world a better place to go to hell from, if you will. Jesus went to the heart of the matter. Were, were the other things important? Yes, they were important. But as important as the gospel? No. Not as important as the gospel. Jesus took care of the most important thing first. We're talking about the healing of the human soul, the forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus saw their faith, he forgave the man's sin. You see, ladies and gentlemen, faith is the basis for the work of Jesus. That faith down there in your heart is what gets God's attention. you notice that neither, this is interesting to me, neither this man or the four men that carried him, none of them are recorded as saying a single word. Did you notice that? There's not a single word spoken by the poor man or the guy that said it. Jesus simply saw the faith in their heart. You know what that tells me? No, they weren't badgers, because if they were badgers, they'd say, come and repeat a prayer after me. No. What that shows me is that on Sunday morning, if God's dealing with your heart, and you'll believe that Jesus can save you from your sins. You say, well, I don't know what to say when I get down here. Honey, if you'll take that step of faith right there, I believe Jesus will save you. He's not looking for your eloquent prayer. Even if you want to come say something, come in and offer and say, God, save me. i got faith saved by this saying, God, I don't want to go to hell. Okay? The Lord got the message, and he saved me. Jesus isn't looking for your eloquent prayer. Jesus is saying that you got faith in me? Do you believe in me that I can forgive your sins? And lost friend today, if you believe that, Jesus can forgive you and give you eternal life. Church, if you believe that, you ought to evangelize the whole world. You ought to tell everybody you can, every man, woman, boy, or girl, about Jesus. Well, that I'll ask you. Is there anybody specifically on your mind that you're trying to get saved this year? I won't ask you, but maybe tonight, maybe I will, if you've ever wanted anybody to faith in Christ. You think about that. Is there anybody on your heart that you're praying for and, and finding an angle to get to them with the gospel? And you say, no, preacher, not really. If I'm being honest, not really. Why don't you come to an altar today, church member? And ask God to lay somebody on your heart. These four men evangelize the sin. Amen. Number two, since Jesus is the forgiver of sin, number two, we need to embrace the service. Embrace the service. Verse 6 tells us that there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Over in the Gospel of Luke, the parallel account tells us not only were there certain of the scribes sitting there, but there were Pharisees and doctors of the law. A lot of really important religious people were in the room. When Jesus came back to that all the religious people came too, they showed up. You know why? they heard about this new rabbi that was going around doing all these things, and they had come to investigate. Now keep in mind, these are the most religious men in the land. Now, what does Mark and Luke say about these men? You read it in the Gospel of Mark about the doctrines of the law and the Pharisees. It says it's saying about it. what's it say? It says they were sitting there. They were sitting there. If you ask me, those guys were paralytics in this story. They're just sitting there. They could have at least directed traffic heads to somebody in here to Jesus, but no, 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 no. Not these guys. They weren't there to help anybody. They didn't come to embrace the service. They just came there that day. Listen to me. They came there looking for trouble. They came looking for trouble. 1st, 6 and 7 says they were reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God? Jesus Christ was in the house. He's already on record doing some wonderful things. And you would think these guys would be happy to see, but they're not. They're just sitting there, splitting their eyes, pooching out their lips, folding their arms. He's looking for a reason to get offended. And I'm convinced their family line is still continuing on, and I've gone to church with some of their people. They don't come to get a blessing. They don't come to embrace the service of God. They come looking for a reason to get offended. When Jesus forgave this man of his sins, they start thinking down there in his heart in their heart. They start reaching in their heart. This man's blessing. Who can forgive sins but God? Now, granted, they asked the right question, but they came up with the wrong answer. Who can forgive sins but God? Well, nobody can forgive sins but God. A preacher can't forgive sins. God can. No church can forgive your sins. No God sitting in a little confessional booth with a little white collar on, he cannot forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins, and anybody that says different is a blasphemer, including Jesus, unless he's God. Unless he's God. And that's exactly in verse 8, who he chose himself to be. Verse 8 says, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they saw reason within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Now, so far, we've had the four guys bring this guy to Jesus, Jesus sees their faith and forgives him. We haven't, have, don't have anything recorded of the four men or the sick guy. We haven't read anything that they say. At this point, we have not read anything that the Pharisees, the scribes, or the doctrines of the law saw. In fact, all it says is always thinking. But oh, Jesus, in your average ordinary rabbi, because he's done proven here, he knows what you're thinking. You me? Are you listening to me? Jesus Christ knows what you're thinking right now. You ain't even about to say it. And so he he immediately proceeds in his spirit. He reads their mind. He knows what's in their heart. How can you know what's in my heart? Because he's God. He's God. He perceives it, and He says to them, in verse 9, why reason you leave things in your heart? Whether well, is it easier to say that the sick of the quality, I've sinned, be forgiven, here to say, arise, take thy bed, and walk? Jesus knew what they were thinking. They were thinking, well, anybody can walk in here and say, you're forgiven. What's the truth? How do I really know if that guy's really forgiven? Where's well, the change? Well, that's what people want to see. So Jesus just said, well, I'll prove my power to forgive sins by... Making this guy get up and walk. If they see that, they've got to believe, right? If he does, that he's more than just an ordinary man. So in verse 10, Jesus uses a title. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man, underline that in your Bible, the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin. Son of Man is, is a very important title. It's the first time he uses it in this book. That the title, Son of Man, was a big deal. And those religious people in the room knew how big of a deal it was because the prophet Daniel said that the title for the Messiah is Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. So when he starts saying, I'm gonna make this guy get up and walk so that you'll know that the son of man has power to forgive him. So that you'll know that I'm the Messiah. If Jesus can forgive this man and then make him walk. He's no ordinary man. He's the Messiah. And if he's the Messiah, then all these religious people need to embrace what he's doing. They need to stop trying to get in the way of the work. You know, there's some people that they come to church and their favorite song the sing is, I'm in the way. Let's not always get them out of the way somehow. You with me? If these guys had embraced the work, they got out of the way. Remind the word. So what's Jesus doing? He says to the second of verse 11, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And verse 12, immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. Right there, the doubt of the religious people should have been put to bed, but it wasn't. This is the same bunch of people that have been crucified in a few years. They witnessed his forgiveness firsthand and feel rejected. What about you? Lost person Listen to me today. What about you? You have seen what Jesus Christ has done in the lives of other people. And you've heard that He can do it in your life that he is the forgiver of sins. Why do we continue to reject it? Church of Jesus can forgive sins and can. Our responsibility is to embrace the service of what he's doing and further the glorious work of the gospel. Don't do any to hinder the word of the best. You hear me today? I'd rather, listen to minute. Before I hindered what God was doing in this church, I'd resigned as pastor. If I was a member of this church, let me shoot you straight today. Listen, if I was a member of this church and I was about to do something that was going to hinder what God was doing here, I'd pick up and I'd move to another church. You with me today? I'm not trying to be mean-spirited here. I'm just saying, if we see God doing something, we need to embrace the work of God. Embrace what God is doing. When Jesus forgave this man's sins, and then healed him of all his sickness. Look at what happens in verse 1. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified. God said, we never saw it on this fashion, Ladies and gentlemen, since Jesus can forgive sins, number one, we need to evangelize the sinner, number two, we need to embrace the service, number three, we need to exalt the Savior. Exalt the Savior. They had witnessed something that was no less than a miracle. But the real miracle... The real miracle, ladies and gentlemen, was not simply that this man got up, took his bed, and walked. The real miracle was that he got carried back to that place that day on his way to hell. He walked away on his way to heaven. He came down there way down with the guilt of sin. He lived there with forgiveness for everything he had done. And I believe when that guy walked out of that house that day, he went out saying, glory to his name, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood of God. glory to his name. One of the reasons we ought to glorify God when we walk in these doors is when we look at a guy like Les Walker or Junior Atkinson or Philip Kirby and we say, there's a guy, I've heard the story of how he used to be lost on his way to hell, and here he is praising God on Sunday morning. how you that preacher of mine talk about how he was headed for hell, and God saved him when he's on his way to heaven. God changed his life. And we ought to glorify God for what he's doing. How he can take a lump of nothing, a lump of clay, I love the old song that says, I was unworthy to live and not fit to kill, but a man on the cross put me in his will and said that I could still go free. And church, I'm going to lift his name and say hallelujah and glory to God for what Jesus Christ has done. He's the forgiver of sin. I'm here today, today. Thank
0: Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia 30132 or visit us on the web at www.northsideDallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.